Uh, my husband and I super different in how we like to celebrate birthdays. Like he would just love to have like a party of like a, a hundred people, <laughs> and I just want to like, go off by myself, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. see anyone. And and I feel like a lot of times we approach God and throw him a party like we would want to have grown for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Rather than saying, okay, I'm going to study the scripture and find out how God wants to be approached in worship. Welcome to a new edition of Digging Deeper. We're, as always, we're excited that you've joined us and uh, uh, we long to be an outlet for you to be able to dive deeper into some of the things that we're teaching at Perimeter Church on a weekly basis on Sunday mornings. Um, And if you've been uh, joining us on Sunday mornings recently, you know we've been in a series called Worship Together. And the main thrust of this sermon series has been focused on uh, how how and why it's so incredibly important for us to be gathering as God's people, uh, especially as we consider things like uh, where we've been with the pandemic and uh, the realities that that forced us into in terms of online worship and so forth. And and uh, part of the emphasis of this series has been the, uh, the regathering process of the church to remember once again why it's so important for us to be together. Understanding, of course, that... Uh, that there are still uh, very, very rightfully so many people who need to continue joining us online. But to the extent that we can, uh, we want our people regathering. God wants his people regathering. And so we want to push in that direction. So that's, that's a, a, a quick little recap of some of what's been going on in this series. So today we're going to talk a little bit more along those lines and we'll, we'll see where it goes. We're honestly just going to have a conversation. We haven't had extensive preparation in this other than just a few thoughts that we share before we hit record. But uh, I have Caleb click with me per usual for this podcast sitting my right here. He's on our teaching team at Perimeter Church. Uh, but we have Laura Story Elvington with us here uh, to my left. And hey, she's, guys. hey, Laura, it's good to have <laughs> you. You're a, you're a newbie to the, to the Digging Deeper podcast, but you're not a newbie to this topic in this conversation. In fact, might be uh, interesting for you listeners to know that uh, you may not know this about Laura. Laura has her doctorate in worship. Uh, so when we think about these types of conversations and issues and teachings, uh, you got a lot of good thoughts over there, Laura, that uh, I think it will be really, really good for our people to hear uh, from you on. And then, of course, Caleb is just um, always has great input and insight uh, as he has uh, read, I think, all the known books in the world. Every single Every one. Every single one of them. <laughs> and um, Not not true. <laughs> There's a lot. I have not. Uh, so, but because of the um, vast amount that Caleb has read and researched, uh, and of course his, uh, his knowledge of the scriptures themselves, always an asset to this conversation. And then there's me. I'll just ask questions and give my two cents oh, along whatever. the way. Um, <laughs> But uh, so here's where let's let's start the conversation. I, I want us to think about um, as we as we consider worshiping together. You know, in the series, in the teaching series that we've been in, we've hit on uh, some important things. We've talked about worshiping in spirit and truth mm-hmm. out of John four. We've talked about worshiping together in self denial. What does it look like to come together uh, in corporate worship, but do so with a posture of denying ourselves? bent more towards deference rather than preference. Um, 
we've talked about, Caleb, you preached on uh, just why we gather. Why is it so important that we gather together? And, and what is it that is intended by God when we do so? Uh, and then this past week, uh, we're recording this right before uh, the the last sermon series, Caleb, that you'll or sermon that you'll preach this coming Sunday uh, on kind of worshiping together through the ages. This past week, I preached on uh, what did I preach on? Suffering. Suffering. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, worshiping together and how we suffer together as we worship together, and and why that's such an important part of uh, being in the corporate space, so that we can embrace one another and lifting each other up and carrying each other's burdens and mm-hmm. so forth. Um. But two questions I think that will will maybe shape our conversation today. Um, does it matter where we worship? That's the first question. And then secondly, uh, does it matter how we worship? First question is getting more at um, the context of our worship, mm-hmm. right? The second question is getting more at the content of our worship. And and yeah, does it matter? Right, and so maybe let's start with the first one. So the first question: uh, Does it matter where we worship? On one hand, you know, when we talk through John four, one of the things that Jesus is doing is is he's telling this Samaritan woman she's really concerned about place. She's really concerned about my forefathers. My fathers worshipped on this mountain right here, and she's pointing to Mount Gerizim mm-hmm. in Samaria. And then she's saying, "You, Jesus, as a Jewish man, you say it's Jerusalem, or the Jew, you know, the Jews say it's Jerusalem where we worship. So where is it?" And Jesus steers her away from place to say, well, there's going to be a time very soon where it's not going to be on Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem, but it's going to be about worshiping in spirit and truth. And even the Westminster Divines speak to this in the Westminster Confession where they say, look, it's uh, the worship of God happens everywhere. We worship him in spirit and truth. We do that in private. We do that in a, on a daily basis in our individual lives. But then the Divines come right behind that and make sure they emphasize, but we also gather together. Right, and the, and we don't neglect or carelessly uh, neglect the the gathering of God's people. So, all to say, I want to hear your thoughts. Does it matter? <laughs> Does it matter where we worship? Caleb, no, you go ahead. It's all Man, you. Uh, I so I've been I've been leading worship perimeter, at perimeter for. I guess 16 years now. So I'm kind of a fan of corporate worship. (laughs) (laughs) But I think a lot of that is when I consider my story and even how God brought us here. You know, I was raised in a fantastic church and as a youth group kid was told about the importance of having a personal relationship with Christ. And just that phrase, personal relationship with Christ, it was what uh, definitely helped me understand that the gospel was something that I kind of was responsible for my this the state of my own soul in the sense that I couldn't just lean on my parents' faith for salvation. But I feel like I also applied it a little bit um, wrongly in thinking that my faith was this personal thing that I did. And so it wasn't until later in life <laughs> that I realized, man, I cannot do this on my own. I am not, I'm not good enough at following Jesus to be able to do this solo. And it was such a, a glorious uh, discovery for me once I began to, to read through Scripture and realize that it was never something God intended for me to do on my own. And so when I think about corporate worship, yeah, everything in our culture tells us to do, some, to do whatever it is as an individual 
rather than as a group, whether that, you know, we all drove our cars, our own personal cars here, rather than than taking the yeah. bus. We all, uh, you know, we listen to music with our earbuds rather than, you know, as a group. And there's something that is <laughs> very uh, more time efficient, more um, individualistic about doing things just as, as, as a person. Uh, but when I think about how God designed worship, I think he designed it um, that we're truly missing something if we're not doing it as a group, as his people. And if for no other reason, just because that's how he describes how he'd like to be worshiped um, yeah. through his scripture. I mean, I would even build on that. It's like that. If you look at Jesus in the Gospels, it tells you in a couple of different places that uh, G- it mentions something like, you know, Jesus worshiped that, that Sabbath in the synagogue mm-hmm. as it was his habit of doing. Right. Like if, if even the Son of God in human flesh thinks that corporate worship is a necessity in his life, mm-hmm. uh, how much more should we? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it feels like a, uh, we're, we're thinking we're wiser and stronger than Jesus himself. And, when in fact we're he's the only one that's without sin and he's the one who i mean i, I don't i hesitate to use this language but he if anyone doesn't need it it would have been jesus and yeah. yet jesus habitually goes and is constantly there um and delights to be there yeah and and with that thought i don't want to cut you off but i mean the individual private part of Jesus's worship was there too right it wasn't yeah. either or yeah, it was yeah, yeah. it was no, both no, no, no. right like i mean he had this beautiful communion with the father during his time on earth where I mean, we see continually over over and over again in the Gospels where he's getting away to pray yeah. privately, mm-hmm. right? He's he's that's that's there, but yet that's not in place of yeah gathering with God's people yeah. in yeah. in corporate worship. Well, and even in his resurrected state, like in Hebrews two, it quotes from the Psalms where Jesus is now in the midst of the congregation proclaiming the goodness of his Father. Like, Jesus didn't rise from the dead to escape corporate worship, but actually to engage in it even more. Yeah. Mm. Like, that's he's leading a corporate worship service in the heavenly places as we speak. Mm. Right. Um, and and that's uh, that, that should be at least a major consideration yeah. in all this. So, so how does this apply then to... And I mentioned this in the opening comments, and, and I want to be careful with it because it's it's there's there's a lot that's good about the ability to live in a day and time, technologically speaking, where we can do things like live stream, where we can do yeah. things like yeah, online church service, right? Um, and so I don't want us I want us to be careful with that because God's using that. Um, there are a number of our people, members here at Perimeter, who are in uh, a place in life where either they're homebound or they have health concerns that are con- uh, continuing to necessarily keep them in a space where they need to worship online. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I, so I'm not speaking to those people. I'm thinking, I'm thinking mm-hmm. more towards the people that um, among us who might be more prone to just say, okay, because this is an option now, that's where there's really no real reason that's keeping me from coming to corporate worship in person other than I like the online experience. Yeah. Um, what do we, how do we help these brothers and sisters say, hey, I, I get it. I totally get it. I understand. Uh, however, it really is to your benefit that you come and participate mm-hmm. in person in the gathering of, of God's people on a weekly basis. What, what are, what, how would you, 
or maybe the question is, why is it beneficial? Yeah, well, I'd say I kind of experienced that a little bit. Like with with COVID, you know, at first you're okay. This is a little bit of a transition. We're watching it online. Okay, we can do this. Oh, I don't even have to get dressed. I can just wear my pajamas. Totally. <laughs> oh, I can do my dishes yep. and make lunch while you know. Yep. And then and then it was. Oh, we could actually go and do something like we can go hiking in the morning and just watch it later. And so it was like Jesus on demand, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's it. And yeah. I started realizing how detrimental that was to uh, <laughs> the things that we were saying, you know, as parents, Martin and I, the things that we're trying to instill in our kids. Yeah. You just take the you know two of the Ten Commandments. You know, um, this this call to have no other gods before Him, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden. Church is this thing that we're fitting in when we have time. And then this idea of keeping the Sabbath holy. And church was this thing that we were fitting in 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 the midst of so many other activities we were filling our day with. And I realized uh, we needed the Mm. discipline of corporate worship. And I'll, I'll tell you this, too, and this is kind hold, of... Hold that the, thought, because I yeah. want before I forget, don't, don't forget it. Are you, 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 you going to reprimand me? No, for, no, 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 no <laughs> I, not at all. I, I think what you just said is so important that I don't want to lose it. Uh, but you were about to say something really profound. I can feel it. No, so so it. hold on to that next thought. All right, so you said holy. Honor yeah. the Sabbath, keep it holy. Yeah. And it just occurred to me, man, that is, okay, what does holy mean? I mean, we always struggle with defining the word holy. Uh, one of the things that holy points to is set apart, mm-hmm. right? So when we say God is holy, 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 and we say that, okay, you know, you might have been in a in a church context before where you heard the pastor say something like, hey, the, the biblical writers, they didn't have highlighters back then. They didn't mm-hmm. have the, a way to bold print. Yeah. So to emphasize something, they would repeat it. Mm-hmm. So to say God is holy, 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 they're, they're emphasizing it in great um, uh, in a great way that, that this is who God is. Well, one of the things they're saying in the holiness of God is that, yes, he's sinless and so forth, but he's also, he's set apart, he's other. He, uh, We are made in his image, but we are not God. Mm-hmm. So then to then say, okay, that when he says in the in the Ten Commandments, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, yeah, he's saying make it other, make it set apart, make it distinct from every other day. And what I hear you saying that is so tempting, and I, man, I, everything you just said about when we were in those days where we only, we were in that place where we had to only do o- online worship uh, last year, it was, my goodness, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got it on the TV, yeah. or you've got it on the computer, but you're doing all kinds of other things. It's not set apart. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're saying, okay, well, let's go to the lake, and then let's watch it at... 4 p.m. when we're coming off the lake as opposed to setting it apart. You know, and so there's all these things that begin to get compromised and therefore they're not holy. The the Sabbath is now not a holy yes. set apart thing. It's a fitted in with everything else. So I just wanted to comment. I think what you're so saying true. there is so so key and maybe mm-hmm. a way that we haven't thought about it. But then you were about to say something else that was well, going to be good. Well, the, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is, you know, if people aren't really seeing the value of corporate worship or church attendance, you have to ask the question if we've failed as a church. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Because um, there should be such a depth of community here, mm. a depth of authenticity, um, such a, a relational aspect of it um, that people, people should long to be uh, not just hearing God's Word, but in the presence of God's people. Yeah. 
That's good. We and, and spot on. Yeah. Caleb, I feel like I cut you off earlier. No, 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 no. I mean, I, th- I think just as I think about this, there's a sense in which, like, when we're not physically with the people of God, and I want to be very clear, there's, there are reasons from time to time to, to not gather. There's medical reasons sometimes for some people. Uh, there's exceptional circumstances, I think, about members of the persecuted church who just can't. Sure. Like, there's there's yeah. nowhere they can go. Uh, but for most of us, those aren't the reasons we're not gathering. And and there's something, if we take the Word of God seriously, there's something that not only are we being deprived of, because as members of the body of Christ, we need each other, but we're also depriving Christ's church of something that God intends us to offer. Mm. And and so because of that, the health of the ch- of not only the individual who doesn't go, but the health of the church is damaged by us not taking part in that. There's something that's to happen. And then you look at the commands of Scripture, so many of the ones uh, you see, and I'm, I'm just going to speak of the New Testament here, don't make sense apart from the gathering of God's people in corporate worship. And so how do you true. address one another in song unless you're singing together? How yeah. do you teach and admonish one another with the Word unless you're physically together? How do you uh, do what Acts 4 is talking about? Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching and yeah. the fellowship of the saints and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, over and over and over again, the, the picture is... You know, sometimes you'll hear people say things like, well, in the Old Testament, there was a Sabbath day, but in the New Testament, it's different. And, you know, I'm going to, that's a long argument we can get into some other day. But <laughs> it seems to me the pattern from Old Testament to New, it's, it is an actually an increase in frequency and fervency of gathering. Mm. They're gathering more frequently than before yes. with greater fervency because they now have the fulfillment of all the things that God had promised in Jesus Christ. Uh, and and it seems as though the tra- our culture is kind of giving us this sense of like it's something to kind of add on if it fits versus like no for the for the believer this is one of the most precious gifts God has given us because it's the means through which uh, Christ restores us renews us replenishes us um, and and this for me is something that's grown over time you know like I I was blessed my parents they took me to church so many times that the few times we didn't go. Uh, I remember being kind of shocked, like it didn't make sense. I didn't know what was happening. I was like, "Wait, did we? Is you know, is God going to smite us or something? Yeah. Like, why? Yeah. Why are we not in church?" Uh, but and when I had, a, I ran away from Christ for a period, and then Christ brought me back. Uh, I remember one of the first things I knew. I knew I had to go to church again. I knew it was like, somehow it was just in my head that that has to be important. But I had no sense of I need to belong to a body. Like I need mm-hmm. to go to one yeah. church, mm-hmm. and I need to belong to that church. I need fellowship in that church. Uh, that took years to recognize. Like, I don't even think I was fully, I'm still growing in that of going, no, I need people. Um, I'm not designed. When God said it's not good for man to be alone, that's not just talking about marriage. That's just Mm -hmm. in general. You were not intended to be alone. Um, I need to be known by those people. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, in the, the deepest works that God has done in my life and in my marriage, um, it's not through reading a book or it's mm-hmm. not through hearing a podcast. It's through uh, a, this multi-generational yeah. <laughs> church uh, showing me how to be the mom I need to be, mm-hmm. showing me how to be the wife I need to be, uh, and and not through 10 steps, but through me learning through failing and then yeah. showing grace and continuing and, and really... Uh, showing the heart of God through, uh, you know, persevering love. I, golly, I can't, 
I'm already kind of a mess, but I would be, I can't even imagine my life apart yeah. from, from our church. Yeah. When I even think of like, you know, you know, sometimes you'll hear, and you know, we've all experienced those moments when Jesus feels distant and we're wondering where he is. And you know what the scriptures tell us is there are places where Jesus promises you he is present. He's present with his people. We're two or more gathered, yeah. I'm there. Uh, he's present in his word. He speaks through his word. Uh, he uh, hears us when we pray. He's the one who's always attentive to our call. Uh, he's there in the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Like there are these places where God says, I am there. And, and so often our response to that distance is to remove ourselves from the very places where Jesus promises to meet mm-hmm. us. Um, and, and so... I heard a pastor years ago say, uh, if you, if you want to know if someone is running from the Lord... Uh, then you can just simply look at look at their life rhythms and see if they're running from the gathered body, and and that was his way of saying exactly what you're saying, Caleb, is that there's there's certain places where yeah where God has promised there I am with you yeah. that's where my presence yeah. and of course for the for the believer we understand now and this is one of the just the overwhelming uh, awe inspiring truths of of the yeah. Christian faith is that the Spirit of God dwells within each of us individually. So in a way, yes, we are individually the temple of God now. However, yeah. the the real application of understanding the temple of God now is the temple is the gathered body is the is is as we all individually possess Christ as we are coming together in corporate worship, we're the new temple, if you will. Uh, the the church is living stones. The living stones, yeah. right, coming together. Um, you know, you mentioned this in a sermon. I think you mentioned this in your sermon, Caleb, but you brought it up just... If it's good, I'll claim it. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, you mentioned it again in your comments just a moment ago, but even that verse of... Uh, uh, there's similar language in Colossians and Ephesians. I'm trying to remember which one it was. I think it's the Ephesians account where he says, that in, in sing spiritual songs to one another or, yeah, or over five. one another, right? Ephesians yeah. 5. So, so even that is really interesting because I think a lot of times we think that when we sing songs gathered together, and I want to transition with this, I'm going to transition us into, you know, does it matter how we worship? Mm-hmm. But, but even before we get into that question, just making the comment that we often think that our singing in the gathered church context uh, is only to God, and certainly first and foremost it is. Uh, but I don't know that we emphasize enough to the Christian community that our singing is to one another as well. It's to build one another up. Uh, one another up. It's it's to remind each other of the truths that we believe mm-hmm. that perhaps that week we've forgotten, That's you know, right. where I'm actually gathered in a place where even if I can't sing the words yeah, because of where my heart is or where I've been struggling, whatever, I'm hearing brothers and sisters in Christ sing these words and it's lifting me up. Amen. It's, it's pulling me towards the throne of grace. Um, in a way that is in some ways um, inexplicable, like, you know, it's a bit mysterious. Uh, same thing with the sacraments. So if we're not gathering with the body, uh, we believe in, in our denominational understanding of the scriptures. Um, so obviously I'm going to say this is the right way, <laughs> but I could be wrong. Um, but we believe that, you know, the, Christ is not present in the elements of, of communion, of the Lord's Supper. But we do believe, and we we see scripturally that He is present. The Spirit of God is present uh, in a mysterious way, nourishing us by the means of grace, uh, 
when we take part and participate in the sacraments. Man, that's something you're missing out on if you're not coming together in the gathered body, right? If we're not worshiping together, um, when we participate in the in the sacraments, that's not just something we're watching. That's not, oh, I'll watch the Lord's Supper or I'll watch people get baptized. We are participating in that. We're remembering our own baptism, right? All these things that are part of our nur- our spiritual nourishment mm. um, and, and that's that part of have what, to be there, right? Yeah, and that was part of what was addressed at the Reformation. Like we, yeah. a lot of times we hear um, other aspects of it, but one of the things was the 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 priests were taking the table on behalf of the people. Yeah, right. Rather than actually offering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so just knowing that that, uh, that was one of the key aspects that uh, it's like this newfound uh, nourishment that the church was introduced to. Yeah. And now that we would neglect it more, uh, I don't know, out of just an uh, overall neglecting to meet. It's kind of an interesting idea. Well, I, I wonder if some sense of it is, you know, there's always been, you know, even if you read like in the Reformers, there's always questions, you know, people not coming to services and stuff like that. They always struggled with that stuff. But I do wonder if in our age we have so much access that the familiarity, I don't want to say it breeds contempt, but apathy. Sure, yeah. Of like, I can get it anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think about like Reformation worship, you know, if you were going to go to a Catholic church pre the Protestant Reformation, uh, you wouldn't sing. You were sung to by the monks. The priest was separated by a literal wall, mm-hmm. and he would take communion for you, as you were saying. You yeah. might, you got the, I think it was you got the bread once a year, and he drank the wine because you weren't trusted with the blood of Jesus. Yeah. It was in Latin, so you couldn't understand anything. If they read scripture, it was in another language. There was no preaching. That was usually outside of the church. Uh, everything was built around the act of taking the sacrament, the mass. Mm-hmm. And that was the means by which you were saved. And like the Protestant Reformation was suddenly like, we're going to do the vac- vernacular. You're going to hear the word of God yeah. in, in the language you actually speak. You're going to sing together. That, like, which is, we think of those things as like common sense. Yeah. yeah. Those were not happening. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, Can you go through all that again? I'm going to write that down. I think that's going to be our new way of doing church is to go back to that old Catholic. <laughs> you, want, <laughs> you, you want to do it all in Latin? <laughs> I mean, we're in trouble. Uh, that sounds... We, we'll that, understand as much as the priest did at the that's time. That's right, exactly. <laughs> no, you hear that today, and we, we kind of just shake our heads, or we do shake our heads and just go, how? How do we ever end up there? Um, but but obviously, human history shows that we we can totally miss and misinterpret mm-hmm. God's design for for why we should gather and what's to mm-hmm. happen while we gather. So there's the, there's the second question. How do... When we are gathered, does it matter how? Hmm. What do we do, and, and and why does it matter, and what should we do, and how do we worship, all those kind of things. And obviously, those are, I'm throwing out a lot of questions there that we'll have like 10 minutes to speak to. But what are initial thoughts on, does it matter how we worship? Oh my gracious, yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> <laughs> I only have about three hours worth of things to say about it. <laughs> no. uh, and it's a great question, though, because, uh, you know, I, I think I grew up... Um, Trying to think of when when I just started leading worship, I uh, passion I went to the passion conference and and it was this idea of worship is everything. It's this full life thing, and which was such a a liberating idea for me to be that I could worship in my car. I could worship, but maybe the unintended consequence of me discovering this idea, which certainly wasn't their intent at all. It was just how me as a college kid mistook the whole thing. But 
it was this uh, idea of, well, I can just worship God however I want to. And if I want to just run out in a field, you know, and just sing songs to him about how much I love him, then that that can be worship. I can start my prayers with, what up, God? Exactly. You know, like, yeah. 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 Yes. And, you know, and so many, uh, oh, gracious, there's so much with that, even just the casual nature of of approaching God um, and kind of a misunderstanding of, of the role of grace mm-hmm. in worship. Grace doesn't mean that you can approach God as your buddy. Yeah. Grace means that he is God is just as much that consuming fire mm. that we still approach with reverence, but we do it through the person of Jesus. He yeah. is the mediator. It's not like that God is dumbed down in his holiness yeah. in order to approach us. Uh, so yes, I definitely think that there's there is a way that we should approach God in worship. I, I think about it. Uh, my husband and I super different in how we like to celebrate birthdays. Like he would just love to have like a party of like a, a hundred people, <laughs> and I just want to like, go off by myself, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not yeah. see anyone. And and I feel like a lot of times we approach God and throw him a party like we would want to have mm, thrown for us. Mm, that's good. Rather than saying, okay, I'm going to study the scripture and find out how God wants to be approached in worship. Yeah. Like what, what does the Bible say about how to worship God rather than me just coming to him based on the things that I like and the things that I prefer? You know, it occurs to me that Hebrews 4 tells us that because of Jesus, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence but sometimes I wonder if we go, oh, okay, we, we can say approach the throne of grace with confidence. Oh, that also means, like you're saying, uh, with, with, casu- with carelessness or casualness yeah. or irreverence, right? Because we we all of a sudden maybe unknowingly or inadvertently translate confidence into something that it's not, mm-hmm. you know, and that God didn't intend because he's still the God of Isaiah 6, yes, right? He's still the one that when Isaiah saw him, in his throne room, he immediately fell on his face and said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa is me." Yeah. And um, and and so yeah, that's man, Caleb. You were going to say something. I was going. I guess I got a, a couple thoughts, and so y'all may need to derail me because this could go too long. But I think like it's significant that the first four commandments God gives are all about worship. Mm-hmm. Like if there's one thing God is supremely concerned about in the Old Testament, in the New, it is the manner in which he is worshipped. And I and I think there's a couple of reasons that one is God is concerned for his own glory, right? Like he, he does not uh, brook the worship of idols. But the second one is I think it's because he cares about us because... You know the principle of scripture is we become the things that we worship, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. For for good or for ill. So if we're not worshiping the living God, that means we're going to be worshiping something that is, as Romans one says, is in the creation, and thus we're going to become like that thing. And you see this pattern in, in scripture constantly, right? Like. When Israel worships idols that are deaf, dumb, and blind, they become deaf, dumb, and blind. When Israel mm. worships the golden calf, uh, the way they're described in Exodus 32 is they act like wild calves. They're carousing around and rambling. They're stiff-necked. That's animal language. Uh, when we worship uh, um, uh, power, we start to feel weak. When we worship beauty, we feel ugly. Like mm. all these things, they mm. just they destroy us. And so why is God concerned with the how is because God knows how prone we are to idolatry and he would have us worship the living God and be remade in his image because it is in that image that we find what is truly life. Oh, it's so good. And so I think there's a sense in which we're actually resisting the hand of a kind doctor when we resist what God, the parameters God would set about worship. 
Um, That's good. And I would also want, this is a second thing, is like we're talking about coming with reverence and with fear, but I think we also have to remember that we ha- we're coming as sinners who are being sanctified. Mm-hmm. And that means we're never going to come uh, as as 100% reverent. We're never going to come exactly as we should. We're going to come as the broken people that we are. And God intends his church to be a hospital for sinners where he is mm. slowly but surely, and I mean this in a good way, drowning us in his grace so that we would be renewed and made whole. Um, like... I, C.S. Lewis, in his book on the Reflections on the Psalms, talks about how going to church, those duties are there to enhance our delight. They're sort of a a way of digging channels in the desert so that when the water of the Spirit comes, it has a place to flow. And that's what we're doing in worship. We're, We're coming, and God is slowly but surely cutting away at our hearts and then flooding them with His Spirit and remaking us. And Hmm. I, that's all of our lives. Like we're never going to worship perfectly in, until we're with Him in heaven. You know, and well, real ahead. quick. You know, when you share that, Caleb, I mean, it resonates so deeply. I think certainly with me, and I think everybody listening, because we we've been there, right? We we worship. We feel maybe we don't know how to articulate it, but we feel the reality of we, of of that truth that we become what we worship. Mm-hmm. And, and then even the um, the end of that worship. So when we find ourselves serving at the footstool of a modern-day golden calf, yeah. the end result leads us to what we didn't long for, yeah. right? Or, or the very opposite of what we thought we were going to get, right? So, so like, for example, if you worship politics, you'll, you'll always be fearful, yeah. right? And I think you were even sharing this with me at one point, and so I may be stealing some of your language here. I know, but, I might be stealing it from David Foster Wallace. So. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, we're all stealing from each other. But, <laughs> you know, you know, some of the things I wrote down, if you if you worship politics, you'll always be fearful. If you worship beauty, you'll always feel ugly. Yeah, Wallace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you worship intelligence, you'll always feel ignorant. If you worship moralism, you'll, all, you'll never me- measure up. If you worship safety, you'll always be anxious. If you worship money, you'll never have enough. You know, and so on and so on it goes. Yeah. And and it's it's the maybe it's maybe we call it this is something I'm probably stealing from somebody else too, but we call it the golden calf syndrome, maybe of yeah. Yeah. you know, where we think these are things that are going to give us what we long for and they actually lead us to the opposite of what we long for. Yeah. And yeah. we become more like the very thing that we're worshiping. And so what reorders that? Yeah. What reorients mm-hmm. that? What brings us out of that syndrome? It's corporate worship. I mean, yeah. yes, it's private worship. That's a part of it. Please don't misunderstand yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, when what we see in Scripture, what is it that God keeps calling us back to over and over and over again is corporate worship, worshiping together so that that reorienting of our hearts towards proper worship of God mm-hmm. takes place. But that that's where we come in and have this higher responsibility to really curate well the content yeah. Like what actually happens yes. in that hour to hour and a half uh, you know, time slot that we call corporate worship, where uh, we probably now, when it comes to, so, so you guys know that part of my, my role here at the church is, is to look at resources and producing resources, utilizing resources. And we are, like this day and age, we have, because of the internet, we have more resources than we could yeah. ever, ever need and I look around at the church, and so often I see less discernment than mm. I've ever seen in, mm. in what resources are being used. An example would be, you know, back back in the day when we used these things called hymnals. Yeah, this was <laughs> this was a uh, 
a body of songs that a particular denomination would would just deliberate for years sometimes and saying this is yeah. what and, and they finally they print the hymnal and this is what we say are the songs that represent the our core beliefs well now it's things are are moving so quickly a song can be written on a monday yeah. uh put out on the internet on a wednesday and, and sung in a church on a sunday without the discernment mm-hmm. um that i think it have had gone into it prior to mm. um this fast-paced technology age yeah so what do we do with that laura like i, I think yeah i uh, we see that right mm-hmm. and we fight against that even here right of like yes as we select songs sometimes it's like oh wait have we really sat with that one long enough to make sure this is the, uh, you know, the 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 thing we want to be singing as a con- congregation, and and because it's so easy to get swept up in the um, the newness of something means it's better, yeah, as opposed to and Caleb's going to preach towards this this weekend. I'm going to talk about this weekend. Yeah, yeah. so I don't want to steal too much of his thunder here. So <laughs> we'll just mention it's it. It's coming out afterwards. It's okay. Yeah, this is coming out after the It'll sermon. Be so we, uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we get caught up in, and we, and when I say we, I mean, we, yeah. not just out there, the world yeah. out there, like we get caught up in the, oh, this is a new fresh song. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're even writing songs as a, as a group of pastors and worship leaders here, because we want to bless our people with, uh, the gifts that God has given us. So there, there's something good to be said about that. Yeah. But what's the danger as well? What, what's, what's the danger with getting caught up in the newness of, Worship songs and and not sitting enough with the old. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. Well, first of all, I, I think any whether it's with songs, liturgy, anything in your spiritual life, there's always something to be gained from going back to the early church, to the you know the the generation, even just the generation before us. You know, think about the hymns. There's so much we can learn about. Uh, you know, getting our people singing theology rather than just singing praise. I'm, yeah. I love, I love singing praise. I, yeah. I love expressive worship. Yeah. But I also uh, understand the importance of formative worship. I think about for my kids. Mm-hmm. I want them singing the truths of Scripture because I know that yeah. that's what's going to stick with them <laughs> far more than anything that I tell them. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that's making it a little bit harder these days. Uh, so, so when I first uh, kind of came on the scene as a songwriter, as a, as a worship songwriter, yeah. I had written this song called "Indescribable." Okay, mm-hmm. and we pitched this song to probably like six or seven. Uh, different artists, and they were like, "Oh, that that it sounds like corporate worship, and we're just not really, re- you know, they, they don't play worship on the radio." So this was fifteen years ago, fifteen twenty years ago, and now, <laughs> now the the radio stations are full of corporate worship songs, which is wonderful on yeah. on one level, mm-hmm. but the other part of it is, uh, so now you have radio stations and just large media outlets that are promoting worship music. Uh, but when you do it in, in the in when you do it in the setting of radio, you know the the goals of radio is to be positive, encouraging, family friendly. So you end up Keep having as wide an audience as possible. Yes, yeah. yes, and wide as yeah. And so you you want people that um, honestly believe just the most basic tenets of the faith. So now, what is filling our churches mm. so often? Mm is music that is positive and family-friendly and encouraging. And so you end up with (laughs) Christians that are 
encouraged Mm -hmm. and positive Mm -hmm. rather than grounded Mm -hmm. in the biblical truths um, that I, that I long for our music to really speak of. Mm. And this is, that's, that's, uh, I love that you're the one saying that because you, you get, you've, You've lived in that world, right? I mean, oh, and I've been that person. You, I, yeah. I don't want to sound as if I'm condemning other <laughs> worship songwriters. Yeah. I've definitely um, that's been part of that's been part of my story, and and trying to find that balance of mm-hmm. writing songs that uh, that everyone likes and everyone can agree upon. Mm-hmm. But those aren't the songs that have gotten me through those dark nights of the soul. Do you find it interesting? And you're going to hate that I brought this up. And you're going to ask Hannon here to cut it out, but he's not going to. Um, <laughs> I, I do find it interesting in all the awesome songs that you've written over the years that God's gifted you to write. Uh, the one that won the Grammy, the one that has ministered to the most people is probably the deepest one you've written, perhaps. Mm. I mean, you've written a lot of deep songs, but deep in the sense of it gets down to the to that that uh, under the surface reality that we all sense and feel of of the hardness of life, the difficulty mm. of life, that what if God's blessings are coming through mm-hmm. just things that are incredibly difficult in this life. And right. and so I just say that to say I, I don't find it I find it ironic and I don't find it um surprising that sometimes yeah. the, you know you want these songs that are positive and encouraging and family friendly, but the one that resonated with the most people is the one that uh, where it just it struck that deep chord. Well, if right? you want to speak to the power of music, you know, really the song blessings that you're referring to, it is uh, it's kind of it's reformed theology. It's believing so deeply in the sovereignty of God that that He does um, sovereign sovereignly allow hard things for His purposes. Right. But what's so interesting about that is I have had people. Uh, email me, contact me, whatever, from every denomination. People that I know, there, there's no way in the world anyone would preach that from the pulpit of the church <laughs> yeah, yeah. that they go to, but somehow that song yep. sneaks in there. Totally. And so even just to see that when we are, not, not to use myself as a positive example sure, yeah, here, because yeah, yeah, I can yeah. tell you, I can sing you a lot of really bad songs I've written, but, but when we are... We can tell you a lot of horrible sermons we've preached. So. <laughs> but when we do that, um, that hard work of writing songs based on um, the message that I believe God wants our people to be singing, mm-hmm. um, it really does, it has a way of, um, of really making a mark and, and ministering deeply to souls, maybe more than, than all the you know, rah-rah, Mm-hmm. We love yeah. Jesus kind of songs out there. We sang two songs this past Sunday again. By the time this is being listened to, it'll be two Sundays ago. But we sang two songs after the sermon. Um, one was Though You Slay Me. The other was Oh, uh, help me out here, Laura. Oh, the depth of sorrow. Oh, God, the depth of sorrow I cry to thee, or something like that, mm-hmm. an old hymn. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of which are speaking to some of those um those deep and, and pretty profound realities of when our our struggle meets the sovereignty of God, meets the grace of God, meets the um, uh, the praise of God. And I've had so many people text me in the last mm. two days asking me, 
Uh, what were those two songs we sang at the end? Oh, that's so great. Like, that's that, so great to that, hear. That was, those were so good. And can you, like, where do I get those? You know, um, one is by the Gettys and uh, Getty Music, and the other is, is by Shane and Shane. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to wrap us up. We've gone, we've talked a long time, and I feel like hey, can we I, can, I say, can yeah, I say one more yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. To, and I think it will kind of bring us to a, to a close. The song you're referring to was Lord from Sorrow's Deep I Call. There you go. And it does sound like an old hymn, but it actually is a, a song um, by Matt Poppa and Matt Boswell. Oh, wow. And these are guys yeah. who are committed to writing substantive music yeah. that, that are saying, yeah, I know this isn't necessarily the trend of contemporary worship, but we're going to write new hymns that really represent you know, music that speaks, um, that proclaims the tenets of our faith um, so that the next generation um, will be, if I can use the word, catechized mm-hmm. you know, in the mm-hmm. way that yeah. former generations were. All right. <laughs> so, Sorry. <laughs> it, it, it's just there's so I much more. I was trying to land the blame, but I have a feeling I may have opened up a Well, y- yes, but, but I'll, I'll say this. There's so much more I want to talk about. Maybe we'll do another part to this because there's we really didn't even get to into a lot of things that, that I'd love for us to get into in terms of does it matter how we worship, you know, mm. and e- even as we think about, yeah, the catechisms, like bringing those into the liturgical rhythms of our worship, mm-hmm. right? And 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 what is liturgy even? And what what do we mean when we talk about liturgy? And is there an order of worship that yeah. we can gain from Scripture even that helps us sit in uh, uh, rhythmic spaces to where formational spiritual formation is happening as we worship together corporately? Uh, there's so much more that we could talk about. You know, we is there why why do we why does our denomination uh, why did we write a book of church order and it speak to corporate worship in such a way that it says, hey, start with a call to worship and a prayer and then move into confession of sin and affirmation of faith and then move into the preaching of the word and the sacraments. Why is there a rhythm to that? And where do we see that biblically? So these are all questions that I'd love to get to. Uh, so at some point we'll need to do a part two to this. Um, and uh, And I can see Caleb over there just... Uh, chomping <laughs> at the all sorts of chomping at the bits yeah. to uh, give Just give thoughts on that, and uh, but I'm going to cut him off and say for this one we're going to call it quits, um, and uh, leave you hanging for the, some answer to some of those questions uh, when we do this again. But Laura, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Caleb, as always, appreciate you, brother. And uh, for those listening, I hope it's been a blessing. Thanks for hanging with us till the end. And uh, we'll look forward to when you join us again. Until then, uh, check out the show notes that come along with this. Um, go to perimeter.org. You can check out all of the, uh, the sermons in this sermon series there. Uh, and you can find it on our app as well. If you want to, if you want to search the app store and, and look up Perimeter Church, you'll find that, uh, helpful also. Uh, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you and may he give you his peace. Until next time, be blessed. Be blessed.